on this episode of the After the Time Out podcast in partnership with the IBCA, we sit down with Dosha Woods, head women's basketball coach at Denver University. We talk to Coach Woods about providing your players with life basketball balance, coaching with a positive mindset, and a breakdown of her team's offensive efficiency. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Time Out podcast. All right, Coach, so we start everything with uh, every episode with the co- what we call the opening tip. Um, we like to just let our listeners know about our, our, our guests, you know, maybe give us a little preview of Denver basketball, how you guys are doing preseason, and then kind of, you know, your your journey and, and what you what you've took, to, what it took to, to get to where you were and the path you took. Perfect. Well, I will say, you know, we just finished our third week of preseason. Um, we're on the quarter system here at DU. So we actually didn't start school until this past Monday, um, September 11th. And, but we split our eight weeks. So we did like six um, early in like June, July. Our players got about five, five week break. And then we came back and really have loved it. Obviously the altitude can impact and it's really given us a chance to get in shape. We have nine returners. So um, I really, really want to give our freshmen a shout out because you know, I noticed that things are moving a lot faster. We don't necessarily stop and teach each drill, especially in eight hours of time. But I really like where we are. I really like the way that this group works and they compete in battle. This would be year four for me. So, um, you know, even as a coaching a staff, have the same staff returning, we've been able to offer a lot of clarity, both sides of the ball. So it's been, I wouldn't say relaxed and nice kind of, uh, play with a different a few different areas because they know our personality things like that um, as far as my coaching during god i said it's my fourth year here i'm going to be my 23rd year overall and i, and I was just telling somebody this in the elevator they were lost in campus and i said oh, i'll take you so i'm trying to talk and i still get oh what position do you play are you a student and i'm like thank you but actually um so i still appreciate and embrace those compliments um but yes this i'm a veteran now and i just have learned to embrace it at 23 years in the profession um four years here as a head coach so i've had quite a few different stops um i don't know if you want me to go through all those stops i definitely can sure Um, yeah well my first year coaching I, i like to say was my senior year at western illinois um i was the only senior with eight freshmen and it was just really my first kind of chance to be that go-between uh, coach and the players fresh. And, you know, they're always just trying to keep their head above water when they're uh, just entering college anyway. So that was really, I joke, my first year. Uh, but Coach Crane, who was my head coach at the time, really just asked me to stay on to be a graduate assistant. Uh, assistant took a job like late September. And I eventually just got moved up into that role as a as an assistant coach. So it really was probably a big adjustment, but the best adjustment in a sense of coaching my teammates. Um, she really gave me a chance to learn uh, the coaching side of things. Obviously, already knew her style, and then could have honestly done that forever. Um, coach and I had a great relationship, but wanted to expand. I've never wavered from wanting to be a head coach at this level. It was always a goal of mine. Um, so from there, I went to New Mexico State for a year, Oregon State for three years. University of Missouri for two years and then spent a bulk of my time prior to getting this position at Tulane University for 10 years. And um, 
I moved around quite a bit. I'm from Kansas originally, but I moved around to give me a chance to work for a lot of different types of people, um, to see a lot of different types of basketball, a lot of ways that the games could play in that whole time. Gave me a chance to just build my own portfolio, my own thoughts and what I want to do when I had the opportunity. Like that's a long answer. Not at all. Um, uh, we always think it's cool to to hear the path because it, you know, then you kind of see the connections of, you know, of style and, and, you know, mentors and, and things like that. It, it's always really cool. So just to yeah, kind, no, of, would... kind of build off of that, um, actually, you let in perfectly. So you kind of had said, you know, you're from Kansas, you went to school in Western Illinois, you know, you were in the, in the New Orleans area for a long time at Tulane, and now you're at Denver. Those are very four completely different places. Um, so, you Understatement. Know, yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, and, and so something we haven't really hit on with a lot of our guests is, you know, having lived in so many different varied places, you know, is how does that work with your personal life? How does that work with being, you know, around family where you grew up or friends or, you know, kind of maybe take our listeners into that journey a little bit as the, the personal side of being a head coach and, and being an assistant? You know, I would say when you're I'm very fortunate. I started my career when I did, you know, there wasn't that social media that you have now. Um, I think cell phones had just become a thing then. And we were, you know, well-versed kind of in the internet. And so for me, um, probably the New Mexico state and Oregon state, that was my first time really out of the time zone. And I didn't realize how different that was, right. You're, you're winning these big games and you're, you have all this excitement and there's no to call because it's too late, you know, um, or you're getting up super early. But, you know, I think learning to navigate that earlier in my career, um, I've always enjoyed like mentoring our players and really just serving them and pouring into them. So each stop, that's what really kept me going. Um, I know, you know, if we're being honest, the year I spent um, in New Mexico State, I, I honestly was in a dark spot. So I think I spent more time at church than I did um, at the office. You know, it was really trying to figure myself out, um, trying to figure my sexuality out, a lot of those things. And I remember um, whatever the church had going on, I did. And, and I'm just, that's my, that's my personality naturally is I will find somebody to talk to. I'll find kind of my outlet. And at that point in my life, um, like I said, it was, it was church. Like, you know, I was the first one to volunteer anything were youth group, Pastor Carrie and Pastor Paul, shout out to them because, um, you know, that was fun. And then I think once, once I got to Oregon State, I started to realize that I could maybe semi try to have a balance. Um, but it definitely takes a toll. And, you know, I think it's easier now with social media. You obviously can set up FaceTime. You can set up Zooms and stay connected that way. Um, but I really have been just immersed in the players that I've coached and, and some of those relationships of people that I've worked with. Yeah, um, now that, the, now that the Zoom hangover is worn off, right? <laughs> after after we yes, all, yes. all use Zoom for so, so long and we're stuck in the house. Yeah. And then when you say like all the different types of places, you know, when I left uh, at Topeka, um, East Topeka, I always like to specify it's a very um, just different side of town. Um, I played two years at a junior college in Kansas, in Great Bend, Kansas. And that was almost like my first, it was only a few hours away, but it was like culture shock because, you know, East Topeka, I grew up, you know, um, low income. It was 
pretty diverse on that side of town. It was just, I didn't really leave that side of town, if you will. We all were, not everybody, but a lot of us were just, you know, it was low income, right? And you're just trying to make it day to day. And so to go to Great Bend, I remember calling my mom. I was like, there's cows across the street from the school. I don't even know how to like, because it was so, that was the king. Because that wasn't the Kansas that I grew up in. It's because like, you know, city, all of these things. And so that was really my first intro to kind of being away from home. But I, again, I'm one that I, I like new things. I like meeting new people and um, living in a lot of different places, learning a lot, a lot of different cultures gave me a chance to do that. Um, even growing up, like I said, we, we had our hard times. I never thought that was going to be my life. Um, and basketball has provided a chance to travel uh, you know, the the states in ways I'd never envisioned. I'd never honestly thought I'd leave the East to be honest with you. And here I am in like, you know, my sixth state since since graduating. One, I, I love the the specificity of East Topeka from East Topeka, <laughs> not just Topeka from East Topeka. I love it. Uh yeah. too, I I totally can connect with you. I went to Illinois College in Springfield here. Okay. Played football. First, first time my, my, our, our quarterback's like, Hey, you want to come to my farm with me? I'm like, okay, I'm from the Chicago suburbs. I've never been to a farm. I'm like, there's cows, there's pay, all kinds of stuff. So I, I, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. So uh, we've been talking to a lot of our, our guests about this lately. All right. So you guys are in the summit summit league, right? But I guess maybe do you have to preface it for, for now, right? Who knows anymore, right? With all this, all this moving and, and going on. But um, how have you guys been kind of, uh, you know, I guess maybe looking ahead and, and managing that kind of stuff and, and your travel. And now, you know, I'm sure with people moving different conferences, maybe affects your non-con schedules and, you know, the, all the factors that go into it, but also keeping you know, your, your players in mind. They're, they're still student athletes and um, you know, they want to, they have, you know, families and, and, you know, um, so kind of avoiding all that to where you don't get, get burnout either with, with all the, all the things that are changing throughout the college basketball in general. You know, that, that's a good question. I think, you know, with the Summit League and just the, the conference realignment in general, uh, first I'll say this, I like to say, um, I mind the business that pays me. And so right now that's University of Denver and specifically, obviously, women's basketball. We don't have football here at DU. So um, I feel, you know, our, our athletic director, um, Josh Burley, actually put together a committee to kind of obviously want to keep abreast and we want to be informed about what's going on. But I think for us, it, it's kind of like a wait and see uh, when a lot of these things are happening. It's not like we're high on anyone's list because we don't have football. And a lot of this is, is generated around football. As far as, far as our team, um, you know, we really have a, a, a team from all over. We have one, one player from Wyoming who's kind of obviously in this area. Um, other than that, you get uh, Arkansas, Alabama, California, um, Wisconsin, um, Washington, a lot of different states, Kansas, Texas. So a lot of our players are already coming to a place where there's travel involved. Um, you know, we have a few schools here in our region, but we pretty much fly everywhere. We're fortunate to be supported that way. I, and I think for us, not, not much changes in a sense of we want to continue to build our program. We want to continue to elevate 
um, you know, as the conference realignment happens, um, it will be impactful. Um, other schools in the summer league have football and as things start to shake down. But our focus right now is building our program and being the best that we can be. Uh, whoever we have to compete against, um, I'm confident we'll have the resources to do so. So just something that popped in my head here as a, as, as a follow up, like, you know, when you're you're kind of recruiting and and things like that, if you have you even noticed like the looking at the schedule, like, hey, uh, maybe we're gonna play over in Arkansas or or California, or you know, is that something that's kind of kind of come up or or something maybe you you know just take into account when you're when you're scheduling games of of trying to at least maybe get you know like Arkansas to Denver's a long way, right? um yes you know it's it's again completely different time zone you know is that something you kind of when you're looking at stuff try to incorporate to to maybe get a chance at some point to help some of your players family see their games and things like that oh absolutely you know we were looking at coach coach dubs coach Lawrence does our scheduling and we were looking to complete the schedule and you know our, our final kind of two additions I tell you we are going to Texas State this year and to uh, North Alabama, in part because of the makeup of our team. And we knew it would be an opportunity to kind of get those kids home. If it works and it makes sense, absolutely. We're going to California for um, our, our kid that's from um, Southern Cal. So we we try to factor it in, especially, again, as you guys will learn, I, I, I prefer the high school route. Um, I, not that we don't have kids out of the portal, um, but we recruit in a way that I expect our kids to be here for four years. So at least one time in that, we'll try to get them close to home so their family can see them in some capacity. Um, but it is something that we're definitely mindful of in, in that scheduling process. And you can't beat Southern California in the middle of the winter, right? I mean, that's, that's a little exactly. nice little, uh, nice little break. <laughs> Yes. And the benefit of the quarter system, we're actually done with finals before Thanksgiving. So we truly have the entire month of December just to focus on basketball. And that's a fun time. And I'm one of those people, you know, you're not, we're not going to go to California and just play basketball. You know, we will trust me. We'll try to find our way to the beach or find our way for something, you know, part of making memories. As I tell the team, you know, we play, you know, ideally what, you know, if you go to national championship game, you're maybe playing 40 games a year. But what are we doing the rest of that time? Now we have to be able to like make memories and do things. So basketball is important, but it's not everything. And so if there's time, and it usually December is that time for us to kind of make a team memory. We've done, you know, we went to Purdue a couple of years ago. We're in the candy cane factory um, that was really popular there. Um, we went to California another time. We're at the beach. Um, so we'll definitely find some type of team activity to do um, and not just play basketball. So going a little bit into your time as an assistant, you know, we don't talk very often to people that are an assistant at somewhere for an extended period of time, like you were at, at Tulane. Um, and I, we thought that was, you know, a very unique thing about your, your journey. Um, so kind of in those 10 years, you know, what, what were some of the things that you really took away with it? Maybe that helped you become a head coach and maybe a, a piece of advice you have for young coaches that want to be a head coach, as you said, you did, um, but, you know, take the time to be somewhere and and learn and, and really try to prepare themselves. You know, I, I'm glad you asked that question, because a lot of times, especially early in my career, um, prior to getting into Tulane, I, you know, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a head coach by I'm 30. Right. That was my especially when I started coaching at 23. I said, oh, by the time I'm 30 and 
I kind of had this like false path laid out for myself, had a chance to work at two power five schools prior to getting into Tulane. And that's kind of where my mind was. It's like, oh, I have to get there. Well, okay, I got there, right? Both one was a rebuild and the other was towards the end of her time there. And I remember getting into Tulane, um, you know, first of all, I learned not to pigeonhole yourself, uh, you know, complete transparency. Coach Stockton is starting year 30 at Tulane University. And I remember when I saw there was a position open, you know, I looked at it and and back then it's, it's very different now. But back then I remember being told, OK, if they have one you know, black person on the staff, then they can't have two. Literally, it's how I was introduced to the profession. So you have like your one, you know, that's how the dynamics of staff work. So I remember looking and it, it came across my mind as a second, right? And I was like, oh, sure, sure it is a Black person stop. So I'm not going to apply. Um, and this was also my other lesson is people are always watching you. Um, she had a position open and we were let go. We knew we, did, we, knew we weren't going to be retained at Missouri in like March. And, but we got paid through June. So it gave me a chance to kind of take my time and find a way to fit. Well, me. Because again, I'm assuming that she already has what she needs. And uh, basically a mutual friend, uh, she needed a recruiting coordinator. And so someone called and was like, hey, you know, Lisa Stockton's looking at Tulane. And I and I literally said, oh, she already has some. I was like, no, she's looking for a recruiting coordinator. You do X, Y, Z. Race never came up here. That was me putting that out there, right? So long story short, I ended up interviewing, um, really hit it off. And Lisa and I actually had met prior to my time at Oregon State and um, the coach I was working for at the time had a suite at the final four and Lisa talks about just how I was like basically serving everybody like I was there obviously but making sure hey do you need this do you need that in a suite and was super personal well she remembered that small exchange literally the only time we met and that turned into a 10-year stint with her and staying there with her so long what I really admired about Lisa is um, the balance that she provided you know obviously she's has been super successful there, has been through, um, you know, a few different, you know, changes, whether you want to say Katrina or just obviously moving conferences, things like that. And for her consistency of just um, to focus on her program, I remember at one time there was, you know, uh, we'd gotten a new men's coach and, you know, it, it was clear like things were like, okay, how, how come all of a sudden they have X, Y, Z? And she'd always say, do we have what we need to be successful? And basically, we need to focus on that. And I really say that to myself every day here now, because, you know, you get distracted by what this person has and what they're doing. And um, she really taught me a lot about how she just ran her program, um, this this quiet confidence. She's not that um, she's not a Kim Mulkey type by any means. That's not her personality. Um, but it, uh, she actually last sees me in the winningest head coach um, in the state of Louisiana. But, you know, I, I think what as an assistant for her for so long, the benefit of staying with someone so long, obviously you get to know each other, but then you build up a relationship where you can start to ask for more, right? I went in as a recruiting coordinator, but I also had a chance to be in charge of compliance, be the liaison for compliance, be the liaison for uh, sports information, for academics, um, to be on different committees across campus because a lot of that started to take care of itself. And because she allowed me to do a lot of those things, I actually earned my master's from Tulane. Um, I graduated in 2020 in COVID because she gave me a chance to get across campus and, and built some other relationships. And I, I really appreciate the balance that she allowed us to have. We always like, you know, work hard, but it was like, you can play hard too. Um, Cause New Orleans is impossible to be there and not, if you're gonna be there and not enjoy the city, that's when you, 
um, that's on you. And she made sure that we had a chance to do that. So um, and I can't give her enough credit for how she allowed me to grow as a coach and as a person. And I really see a lot of um, what she taught me show up here um, at Denver. But I think the other advice I would give to assistants that want to be a head coach and I had to learn is you have to learn how to invest in yourself. Um, if we give our players, you know, so much advice if they come in and they want more playing time or they're struggling with this. And I remember, you know, telling certain players, hey, if you want this, like, what are you doing to separate yourself? Um, here's what the stats look like. Here's what we're seeing. And the same, I, I interviewed for a few head coaching jobs prior to getting this one. And I thought, you know, to see someone else get the job that I thought I was more qualified for. And then I just really started investing. How can I continue to separate myself? Uh, that was part of the reason to get my master's at 40, um, because I never finished it at Western. I just went straight into coaching. Um, but that was a reason. And I really started to shift my focus of how can I continue to separate myself? And um, again, being with someone long enough gave me the opportunity to do that. So uh, we wanted to talk about your 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 time with the, the power of Positive Summit with with john john gordon um you know awesome awesome stuff he he brings in a lot of people from various backgrounds but you know having having that experience uh you know obviously you're 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 chosen chosen for for a reason but within your team right how do you go about you know balancing that that positive atmosphere but still you know having those high standards and and, and competing at, at a high level you know i i think like you know even coaching d3 it's 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 a big jump from high school to you know the, the college level of you know sometimes not realizing like ultimately hey what what happens on the court is, is you know our our, our full-time job right like it there's a there's a, there's an effect but you still have to create that positive atmosphere and 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 teach your kids about you know not only basketball but life and having those those standards of, of, of your team so kind of how do you how do you find that balance and what are some things you guys do to I, I guess work on that and and practice practice that during your seasons and during your workouts and all that good you know I am I'm just naturally a positive person and I'm sure it probably just wears on people because I think sometimes when people say, oh, you're positive as if I'm competitive as well, as if I don't want to win like the next person. I'm just not the, the big yeller. Right. Um, and no one on our staff really is. We're, we're not that one. We're not the staff. We're going to come in and, and it's going to be intense. Awesome. Film crew come, come for something else. Doing compliment they gave me at the end were was that they can see the you know just the standard and expectation right and fill it and you can kind of see it they can see the culture we didn't really I didn't have to identify it for them they could fill it and and I say you know when you first of all our practices are always open uh, I'm one that I, I really don't have anything high what you see is what you're going to get um, I'm not going to change just because you know our AD walks in or because your parents are here we had some parents at practice and I'm like literally going to meet me every day but, you know, for starters, um, just in terms of like positive, uh, we our, our core values is progress, but it's an acronym. And the, the each letter means something different. But at the end of every practice, we pretty much will huddle up, um, we'll circle up at half court 
and say, how do we make progress today? You know, uh, one of the R's is resilient. Who was resilient today? Um, gratitude is the G, um, O is ownership. And we'll kind of go through those. And that's a chance for the players to kind of give um, another player a shout out, coaches a shout out, or, or just in general. And regardless of practice, the greatest practice one day last week, and it's every single practice. It's not contingent at one. You know, we have to have a good practice to do that. When people say, oh, when today, when the day, 24 hours is a long time if you're struggling with something, right? 24 hours, you think how I have to get through this whole 24 hours. I'm really one that operate best moment to moment. Um, so if we've had a bad practice, um, we'll usually end with the progress circle, think on something positive. Normally our players go to weights and then I'll say, weights and go crush weights just because practice wasn't great doesn't mean you can't be great for a coach d and in, in, in the weight room you know if the team will probably tell you that mom look it's irritating or, or frustrating for me i'm just going to look and then you know sometimes that isn't the best because then i have to decipher it um but for me the look is better because if i say something that i might say something i regret which is why i often have sanitizer on the sideline which is a fun fact the sanitizer is both because of covid but i kept it since covid because it gives me a chance to really like let me just think about what i want to say do i want it to come out this way matter of fact just get a, just get a water just get get a water break cuz i need i need a moment so we call this halftime adjustment. It's kind of the halfway point before we transition into to offense. But you talked about that that progress. So uh, when you were talking about this, I kind of uh, you know we I, we kind of just kind of see where it goes for our halftime adjustments. But how do you measure that progress off the court? And then you know heading to our, our offensive segment here, like the, the progress on the court too, right? Because there has to be. Everybody can say, oh, we're making progress, we're making progress. But at the same time, you have to have some way to to measure it and and show that we're, that we're making that progress to help your coaching staff, your players, yourself know that, hey, you know, we're, we're doing the right thing or maybe we need to change something a little bit. So how do you measure it? You know, I, progress for me, it, it really became a way, uh, again, getting a position here in the pandemic um, obviously, we're all competitive, right? We're in sports. Everybody wants to win and be in a position to do so. And we didn't. We didn't win. You know, to be honest with you, I, you know, coaching. Um, coaching in general is one of the few sports um, that your successes and failures are on display for everybody, right? As soon as the game ends, everybody knows. And and then if that's how you define success, right? Success is did you win or lose for most people. And I really had to find a way to, how are we really making progress? So off the court, um, we developed a, a Life 4.0 program. And Life 4.0, again, um, came a chance. I'm a huge mental health advocate. And I wanted our players to, um, I didn't want it to be a stigma with our program. Um, it, it's not a stigma. We talk about it. We talk openly about it. Um, I post openly about it. And, and, and sometimes in hopes that, you know, if one of them really are struggling, um, that they know that they can either come talk to me or, or go see um, somebody else because there's a ton of support. And then obviously also a chance to talk about social justice. But because of our Life 4.0 program, it really has evolved, evolved into um, you know, either financial planning or um, media training, a lot of different topics. It, it's, it's called that for a reason, so anything life-wise. And one way that I measure just our progress with that is just 
we our ability to get around campus and get in a community of Denver where um, the joke on campus, if there's something going on, women's basketball will most likely show up, um, either myself or my staff or team, and we will be um, engaged, we'll be represented. And again, being the uh, only Black head coach here on campus is one that I, I take pride in, but I also um, make sure that our team knows we're, we're kind of like split down the middle. So whether there's activities across campus and, and, and you name it, you know, we're not practicing on Monday, September 25th, right? Uh, we have a kid on our team from Israel. She's Jewish and it's Shaka Poor. And I said, are you going to celebrate? Are you going to practice? She was like, absolutely. I said, okay, we'll take that day off. And it, it's just one that I, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal to me. Okay, we'll just practice Tuesday. Um, but I know it means a lot to her. Um, I think it was just their happy new year yesterday, actually, as well. And, and it's, it's one where I try to measure it that way. Are our players um, engaged in the campus community? Are they engaged in a different community? Uh, we have one team rule, which is make good choices, right? Um, make good choices. And that really just encompasses everything. And that's kind of my metric. Now, have we been perfect? Absolutely not. But it gives me a chance. Um, this is that last step before adulthood. And I, we recruit them. We recruit them on this idea that you're going to make mistakes. And I want to be there to help them like learn and grow through those mistakes, both on and off the court. Um, once we get on the court, I think the progress, again, when we weren't winning a ton, um, we won 12 games last year, I think seven games my first year, 10, 10 games my second year. And it was, we still played a lot more games than that. And I remember we went on this long losing streak. It's maybe like eight games. And I was like, I don't know how I'm, I don't know how I'm going to do it because, you know, it's been so long, so, so long at Tulane, we'd won quite a bit and we didn't experience these kind of like losing streaks. And so I had to force myself to kind of find a positive. And then, so uh, say we lost a game, but we really had our emphasis on taking care of the ball. We lost a game, but we really wanted to make sure that we limited their catch and shoot threes. And we really started to dive into film that way. Um, so we can feel some type of progress. And, and that really gives us a chance too to let things change, right? You can say, oh, these are my goals, but I am the pivot queen. You know, this might be what we want to do. Um, but if COVID taught me anything is how to how to pivot. You know, testing three times a week, I remember thinking, I honestly don't care what happens game day, as long as we get to play a game. As long as we get it, as long as we have a chance to play the game because there's so much going on. Um, but COVID, the benefit for me being a first-time head coach is I really learned how to pivot and I, I'm still working at it, but I really try to challenge myself not to just judge our progress on the wins and loss of the game. Like, was there something else that we did well um, that we can continue to focus on and try to highlight that as well as still keeping that standard? Obviously, we want it. We want to see it work in our favor in terms of wins and losses. But um, the, the metrics change all the time. Um, the team usually has an idea of what, you know, we made progress and this is how. We didn't make progress and this is why. And, you know, what can we do different for the next time? So before we get to offense, I, I wanted to, uh, first of all, I, I totally agree with you. I got my first head coaching job during COVID. I felt like I pivoted so much. I was dizzy, right? Like, oh, we got to do this. We, gotta, we can't do this. We can't do that. All right, we're going to figure out this, right? You're just constantly figured out. But I wanted you to expand on, you know, I like the simplicity of make make good choices, right? Like, you know, a lot of places they have all these things, like you said earlier, pages of lists of this and this and this but so when you're talking to your, your team and, and recruits about like, make good choices how do you go into a little bit more detail and, and you know kind of provide those examples and and you know uh kind of kind of 
teach them because you, you have everybody from different backgrounds, like like you said. So it's it's coming from a you know different perspective from each person person you bring in. So how do you kind of get into the details of make good choices and kind of show them, hey, this is what good good choices are, and and this is kind of what we're looking for when we say make good choices. Good. You know, this is, you mentioned um, John Gordon earlier, uh, little people, uh, fun fact about him, actually has a brother named Dave Gordon, who wrote a book called uh, Tip. And, um, you know, kind of like the same, but anyway, the, the whole premise of the book was uh, MGC, make good choices. And so I remember after reading a book, um, I, he actually did a life work for us, um, Dave Gordon did on um, building your brand and things like that. And I remember telling, I remember us talking and kind of how he came up with it was something that like him and his wife would say to their kids. And I said, I'm just going to take that because it really just encompasses everything. And it it also gives you that ability to let them make those mistakes. Um, how we talk about it, uh, you're right. Everybody comes from different backgrounds. And we say all the time, um, you know, you guys are all coming to us from different places. And, and part of college is learning how to work with other people. And not just obviously on the basketball court, but just in life too. And we're all raised different. We all got on this court a, a different path. And so we have to give ourselves a chance to learn that um, maybe someone's really not trying to be offensive or they're really not trying to hurt your feelings. It's just how they were raised. And we talk um, anytime you come to practice, I might even go on a monologue about, about that. But then to also give examples of um, if it comes across my desk, um, now all of a sudden it's my business, right? I don't, we don't really try to get in their business outside of um, practice or things like that. Um, but if it comes across, um, now it's our business. So whether that's something that you've done across campus, something that you've done in the community, uh, which both has happened, somebody's going to email. And, and making good choices for us is also, as soon as you sign up to be a part of our program, it's no longer just about you. Um, it's going to always say, you know, Dosha Woods, uh, how was basketball coach at the University of Denver did set thing, positive or negative. And so we're all going to get lumped in all the time. Um, and so we just talk about that openly. We use other examples. Um, if people are, um, you know, if, if they fall short of what they want to do, uh, we talk about, you know, making good choices is essentially, um, yeah, you want everybody to kind of be a good person, uh, but making good choices means doing your part and taking ownership in, in the, the decisions that you're making, right? If that's something in the classroom, not going to class and all of a sudden we get a, a follow-up, well, you know, here's the standard and expectations. Here, here's here's a rule, right? Make it choices, but our standard and expectations are you do X, Y, Z. Um, and so outlined in our standard and expectations are kind of ways that like, if you're unsure um, how to make good choices, here's what we're referring to. And then it's also a chance for us to learn that, you know, you try to do what you can in the recruiting process, but until you get everybody on campus and you're spending that day in and day out with them, you really start to understand okay, she was raised like this. And I don't think she really, not that she doesn't know, but, you know, we're going to have to take some time to explain why uh, we need to pivot from this decision or um, talk her through um, certain things. And, and then them educate us too. Our staff is always learning. We're not one of those. Uh, it's not a dictatorship, you know, just because I said so. Um, I'm constantly asking for feedback. And if they have a, a better way, because they've probably seen it on YouTube or TikTok. Okay, tell me why. And we can apply it or we can't apply it. So we we try to spend some time talking about making good choices because I know it's a big just blanket umbrella. Um, but every opportunity that I have to kind of use examples of this was a great choice and this is where we could have made a better choice. 
um, we talk about it in hopes that those bad habits don't become, or those bad mistakes don't become habits. So as we go into the second half of the show, we usually go on a specific topic with each of our guests. And uh, as Todd and I kind of did our homework on you, you know, something big in, in a lot of the Denver um, statistical write-ups was about offensive efficiency. Um, so we wanted to focus on offensive efficiency with you. Um, so our, our first piece of this is shot selection. I think every podcast I listened to in the last five months at some point has talked about uh, shot selection. So for you, how do you define what so uh, shot selection looks like for your team? And let's just start with, I'll, I'll break this up into a couple of parts. Do you look for a balance in twos, threes, free throws? Uh, we want 33s a game and we want 30 use shots a game. Um, you know, free throws metric hasn't really, um, we hadn't really defined a metric for that, but that's, you know, if you watch our team play, that's what we want. We want 30 shots in the U we want 33s uh, for sure. Shot selection is one that, um, you know, coach, uh, Lawrence dubs, she is our motion offense coordinator. So she, uh, spends a ton of time in the film, um, just in terms of diving in what makes sense for us, um, been able to, um, now that we're headed into our fourth year, having players that we recruited, uh, we can offer, we've offered a lot more clarity. Once we start our 20 hours, actually not 20 hours, we're doing it next week, which is our last week of eight hours in terms of shot selection is we'll play a game to, we'll play a five minute game. We've been playing five minute games, um, pretty much since we got back because it's easier to, they like that better than just running lines to get in shape. Either way it goes, you gotta get in shape. So we might as well try to just play our way, our play our way in shape. So one game of five minutes usually turns into about three because they're competitive. It's like running back, running back. I'm like, okay, but we've got to teach too. But next week we'll do a shot selection game. And so the players received kind of this packet of some breakdown of our offensive tournament terminology, what we're really trying to accomplish, why. And then we'll play the game based on, I, I, we'll probably narrow it down to um, seven shots. And, you know, basically the, the, the shot you take, the quality of the shot, you'll get points for that. Um, well, that's how we'll play one game. So uh, we want a, a uncontested layup, right? Say that that's worth, uh, that's number one shot that we want, right? It's easy shot. And so we'll play it both ways. Either the golf ways where the lower score wins because of, you know, one point for the best shot. Uh, number 10 on that is like a contested off the dribble mid-range jumper, right? That That's number 10 on our list. So it's not going to be a game that the highest score wins. We'll probably tweak it because obviously whoever has the most points wins at the end of the game. So we'll probably adjust it that way. But the players will have kind of, this is a good shot. This is why. Also in that we've done our, um, uh, we sold this from my neighbors, our green light license. And so now we have two drills that they do um, that you need to pass both of those drills, either have a green light, yellow light. And obviously if you don't do it at all, you have the red light. And we kind of talk about what that is now, because it's been preseason, we haven't really like, you know, people have the green light, but eventually um, when we play our five minute games and get to our 10 minute games, um, let's say it's the three of us playing, right. And um you know, one of you guys, let's say Paul has the the green light, but as soon as I get the ball, I'm shooting and it's, you know, between that 20 and 30 seconds on the shot clock, boom, turnover. You know, I have a, I have the red light and, but it, you know, Paul's open in a corner. I need to make the extra pass. Once we get in 20 hours, we'll have more time to talk through that. Again, we don't want them to play scared, but it's understanding um, you get what you work for in the offense. Um, it's a five out motion. It, we don't run a ton of sets for, 
this particular person. So obviously we have somebody that's going to get more shots, but a lot of it is it starts to take care of itself. But the shot selection is one that we, we talk openly about what type of shots we want. And then we'll give film too. Uh, once we start at 20 hours, we'll have a chance to watch in real time, um, play a five minute game, watch why um, you could have made the extra pass or why that was a good shot or why we thought you could get a better shot. So the, the second part of that is, you know, uh, are those ever kind of difficult conversations with players at all? You know? Yes, sir. Yes. I mean, because I literally just said this to them last week. One reason why I really enjoy coaching this way is, um, again, we're going back to our core values that, that O is ownership. You really, it, it forces them to take some ownership in what they want. Again, like I said, the offense is designed to get what you earn. Um, we want to get out and transition. We want to be able to run. I talk a lot about getting in shape. We don't do conditioning drills. We just work on full court drills pretty much every practice. And so the conversations are tough because um, when I, I worked for people in the past that we ran a ton of sets, right? And we're just going to set a ton of, get, ton of sets for you because you're the best player on the team and all of that. Well, as an assistant, it was difficult for me to kind of keep the players excited to come to practice, right? Because every time you come to practice, I have to be like, you know, keep working on your game, but knowing the game plan is for you to set two screens for a set player. And the conversations get difficult because I think, you know, sometimes the, the way that we play, sometimes it's like you're forced to really have a conversation with yourself then. Because when you look at practice, when you look at a film, I'm not telling you what you can and can't do, right? Say you don't have a green light. So that means you're probably, you're probably not shooting great, which means I'm probably asking you to make the extra pass. Um, okay, maybe you can separate yourself defensively, but now you don't have any rebounds. Um, you don't necessarily have any stills. Um, you don't talk. So it forces them to take some ownership. And I think there you really start to figure out who who really wants to also invest in themselves. Not that we won't. Um, we, we do, uh, one of my assistants. And so coach miles is our recruiting coordinator. We talk often in the recruiting process about what type of players do we want on the front end who can play for me. She wants to be head coach at some point. I'm always telling her, okay, but it's, it's me right now. So you have that think like me in a sense of, can she play for me? Can she play the style? Uh, coach Dent, our other assistant, she's taken over daily deposits, which is basically our segment for skill work. And they're really, uh, specific two to three kids. Um, per group. And then a lot of the skill is based on our offense, right? Getting to the world, um, transition threes, uh, finishes out the basket, um, playing off two feet, those things like that. So again, the whole program is designed for you to take ownership. And as things start to evolve, some do and some don't. And so now we have all of these, you know, when we do daily deposits, we, we stat that. Um, we, we try to stat as many practices as we can. So I usually, what I see, film to validate it and stats to validate it. So it makes those conversations easier. I don't want them to feel like, oh, she's just not playing because she doesn't like me. Well, no, here's, I'm playing the group that I think is going to help us win. And here's how I got to that. So I want, I want to follow on that a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, depending on different situations, like you, you just rattle off your assistants and recruiting coordinators. And you probably have GAs and, and managers, but we don't. It's, it, we have five of us. We have an ops. Okay. Okay. Right, so it's literally five of us. <laughs> but just, I, I want to kind of boil it down to kind of it, it, think of like, say, just a normal high school program that maybe has varsity assistant, varsity head coach, you know, and, and some lower level coaches that are, they're kind of doing multiple things. If you were going to boil it down for those coaches, talking about the, 
the stuff you just talked about, the the shot tracking and and the the daily deposits. What would be kind of your nuts and bolts if you could only do like the the basics, right? And not necessarily you maybe had the resources to have all those people to kind of to stat and, and all that, you know, throughout the practice. Good question. Um, I, I think for a high school or if you don't have all the resources is trying to figure out um, it. Part of our daily deposits prior to us getting to this point is just putting up uh, on the board. This is this is what we want you to do, right? We want you to shoot these uh, shots um, from the three, these shots in transition, whatever it is. And then here's here's what we want you to make. You have to make uh, seven out of 10 or whatever. Um, and then that's how it kind of was early on where they just had to track it. Well, the game knows if you're lying. Right. We don't, I don't spend the game. No. So if we say do these three drills, you need to shoot 70%. And you said, Oh, I had a great day. I shot 80%. But now when we get live, you keep shooting 30% or 20%. Somebody's lying. Either you are lying or the numbers are lying. And so doing a lot of that, of like the game knows where, you know, they have the metric. I think the other part too, um, if we didn't have the staff that we had is tracking it the next day. So starting practice the next day after you've had a chance to pick these two drills out, everybody knows um, we're, tra we're, we're tracking these two drills in practice. And so then the next day, once you get there, having a chance to talk about, okay, we, we met our metric. Here's why let's continue that. Or we didn't meet our metric. Um, and I don't know high school or another level if there's like managers or um, kids that just really like sports or want to kind of get into it is almost giving them something to, to chart and practice as well. Hey, can you chart every time we, you know, get, get a shot uh, in the paint and having that, that metric as well. So it might be that the next day can't be real time, um, like the resources we have, but that next day, that's how you can kind of start practice with some of these, you know, it can't be every drill when you don't have a ton of people, cause you're going to wear yourself out. It's like, uh, I had actually text my neighbors about our um, green light license because it's a program that we we stole from him. And he starts talking about all these people that he's like, they chart this and video this. And I'm like, okay, we, we don't have all of that here at the university. We don't have GAs or directors. I mean, we see all the positions now and there's five of us and we have a manager and a practice guy. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to get more of that. So that we've had to pivot and adjust. So I, I understand somebody at a small level or high school level, um, there's a way to do it. You just need to do it in a way that makes sense. And that also doesn't wear you out either, right? Cause it, it can get tedious, but that's why picking something that's important and trying to be consistent with that instead of saying the whole practice or the whole thing that we're gonna um, chart and get feedback. Todd and I are smiling before he does his question for our listeners because our listeners know we love Mike Neighbors and we have <laughs> he was phenomenal. Yeah. That's why we're yeah. smiling. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, you know, Coach uh, Coach Coach Doves is in charge of, like I said, our um, motion offense, and so she was listening to another podcast and she's like, "Do you think we can text?" I know one of his other assistants well. Um, and she's like, "Do you think you can text Pauline and ask her about the green light license?" I have a couple questions, and so I ended up just texting him. And when I tell you, he texts me back like a list of things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like shooting drills. And it was like no hesitation. And, and obviously Arkansas and University of Denver aren't the same things, but I've always appreciated just how giving um, 
of his knowledge he is. And, you know, at the end of the day, your players have to perform and they have to make shots and all of those things. So he's not one that like, I'm going to keep this for me. He's like, okay, here, what else do you need? What else do you need? And um, so now he's, he's, he's the one that um, if you are one that wants to learn and have a growth mindset, he's definitely one to kind of gravitate towards because he's just going to put it all out there. There's no guessing what his program is doing either. That's all right. right. So we will go from there. So let's kind of talk about uh, turnovers. Um, you know, all coaches want to limit turnovers, you know, kind of how do you do that with your team to make you more efficient to get those 30 and 30? Um, and, you know, for you, are all turnovers kind of the same? Um, are, are there more aggressive turnovers versus maybe a passive turnover? Yeah, well, we really don't want any live ball turnovers because that's hard to get back on. And I always tell the team, we we can't rebound a turnover. You know, we can rebound a missed shot. So uh, we want to play fast. We want to get shots up early in a shot clock um, from the right people, from the right people. But I'd rather us have a, a, a quick three in transition and then sit there and try to like penetrate and um, do something off the dribble that you have to force. Um, we always say if, if, if your counter needs a counter, then you, somebody else is probably open. Um, but we really try to, to limit our live ball turnovers. And honestly, we want to get a shot up before we get to that point. Um, I remember listening to Gino talk one time. He was like, nothing great happens really after three dribbles. And then that's kind of how we'll use that. A lot of our, our breakdown, we'll say, okay, offense has three dribbles. Because um, if you can't get there, if you start to get five, six, seven, we're probably going to get a turnover. Or sometimes it might just be the turnover in practice. Um, and won't give you a chance because I feel like you're trying to be selfish and create for yourself as opposed to creating um, something else for the team. So we want to try to track live ball turnovers. Um, you know, that that's an area that we really want to be able to get down. Um, and I think clarifying our offense as we did this summer, hopefully will help with that of um, being able to kind of attack the paint more and not just kick it up for the sake of kicking it up. A lot of times people want like, oh, let me get the ball in transition and just kick it up to somebody's open. No, they're they're running down to get to their spot for a reason. We don't necessarily want and and if you're the we call our point guards uh, the rackers. If you're the racker, we want the ball in your hand for a reason. You're you're typically one of our better decision makers. Um, so live by live ball turnovers we want to try to avoid. And then you know if, if I have my way, we can just shoot it before we turn it over. To be honest with you, because at least we have a chance to try to rebound it. Yeah, there's definitely the uh, you you rather get the shot up at least even if you miss it rather than turn it over. I've I've really yes. started to to dig into that. Um, so let's let's kind of talk about um creating the shots um and how you guys on your team want to create shots. You know what you're looking to do in transition to create shots, maybe in the half court, um, on your baseline out of bounds plays, more like um maybe your concepts or your actions or things in your motion that you're really trying to use to create your shots? Yes. We, first of all, we want to get out and run. You know, I, I say this almost on every podcast that I do. There's no sense of being at this altitude, 5280, and us walking the ball up the court. Like that's, it's like a counterproductive to me if we're going to walk the ball up the court, been at this altitude. So first thing we want to do is get out and run. Um, the second is, you know, you have more opportunities once you get the ball to the middle of the, of the paint, right? You, you can see the court, you can see the court better. Um, so that that's that's the first thing. We get out and run, get something easy in transition. The point guard gets it; they can kind of get to to the middle of the floor. Now you have options, right? You got shooters. Pretty much everybody, ideally, um, on the floor can shoot for us. So it creates matchup problems. Um, we have a we have a few bigger guards this year that I'll have a chance when when it's time to run some sets and to. Um, isolate, you know, and it, 
our motion offense is probably 85% of what we do. Um, now, if if we're making poor decisions, right, and we've gotten a few turnovers in a row or a few bad shots or the wrong people shooting the shots, uh, we'll run a, a couple sets, a couple quick hitters. And honestly, some of them, um, pre prepping for that game that week, right, um, we'll kind of look at what they do and how we can kind of um, create some advantages. But it's not like the sets aren't for us to remember, you know, and I'll tell the I'll tell the team this is for this game, right? This is for this game. This is why. And then you don't have to remember it. I want us to be able to play simple and to play free. And the same once we get our out of bounds plays, um, it's five on four, you know. So, again, I don't want our players overthinking. And so, honestly, out of bounds wise, I'm simple. Just give me a box set and get it in. We'll probably get into something then, but I'm not one that we have a whole of these like Bill Self has some great out of bounds plays. We don't have anybody that can dunk. Um, he does a lot of kind of good misdirection. Um, now, if we need it, right, if it's uh, low in the shot clock, I have a, a package of um, in women's basketball, you can advance the ball under a minute in the fourth quarter. So I have a package of that for our players. And one, one thing I ask our players um, pretty much every summer is, you know, we're, we're down five, we've advanced the ball. Um, we need a, uh, whatever we need, uh, shot to win it either two or three, um, where do you want the ball? And so I keep a list of that. So I know kind of the, you know, two or three players that can be in that situation, foul trouble, being healthy, all those things that already know what I want to design for her. If we need something at the rim, if we need a three, something like that. So, um, and then we'll practice. The other thing that we do in practice is say we get a water break and come out and all of a sudden we're going to play a two minute situation. Um, or we'll say this is a situation and play it out, or when practice is over, we'll do an overtime situation. And I'll just blow my whistle overtime and they're waiting. Is it a five minute overtime? Is it just a drill or what is it, you know, baseline? Is it sideline? Um, but th that's how we have, I don't, I don't like to spend a ton of time. If they have to think about it, I work for somebody that both sides of the ball, we had a lot offensively and a lot defensively. And I struggled as an assistant to remember that. So I'm like, I know if I'm struggling, you're struggling. So our players will tell you, um, we try to keep it simple. Now our cuts, once you dive into our offense, you know, they're, they're numbered, they're, they're cut numbered wise and, you know, you're forced to communicate. But uh, a lot of what we do is I, ideally my perfect world, all five people on the floor are offensive thread. And it's your job as the opponent to figure out how you're going to slow us down because we're going to keep playing how we want to play. Um, we're not just going to pound the ball uh, inside. And and, and I, I do want to address that one because people like, you know, sometimes we have two kids committed to us right now that are, um, you know, both six, three kids. And everyone's like, oh, if, you, if you're a post player, it's not the system for you. You just have to be mobile. You know, if you are a big body back to the basket, because often at our level, we're not getting a ton of bigs. Um, you know, those... Those are like reserved now for the power five schools to kind of go develop. And so we have to be able to, to think outside the box and get creative. And that's how um, the five out became a thing. You know, I have a degree in English, but three is worth more than twos um, every day of the week. So uh, especially in a game um, when you're playing basketball, you know, whoever has the most points wins. So I don't want to overcoach. Um, I don't want to, you know, manage every single aspect of the game. I want our players to have some freedom. And we talk a lot about concepts and trust that when it's game day, it's their time to shine. Practice is for me. Game is for you guys. She has no idea how happy she just made me, Todd, with what she just <laughs> said. Because, Coach, we think the same. So we're going to be talking off. Okay, good. Good. Well, you're, you're preaching to the choir, too, with those, those, those six-footers. Because 
we're happy if we can get one that we can get on their tippy toes that might we can stretch them out right <laughs> like hey stand up tall today you might be might be six foot so um so before i get to kind of the analytics uh this is something i've always been interested in and kind of dabbled in you said your numbered numbered cuts right um so kind of maybe just go through kind of what that looks like are you like are you stacking numbers to get certain actions um you know obviously game dependent right of what you're looking to do and, and take advantage of defenses and things like that but maybe a little bit more detail on your 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 numbered cuts and kind of how that how that works yeah you can either you can either stack the numbers um they can be single numbers you can put them together we're gonna go 13 we're gonna go 31 we're just gonna go all ones um obviously each each number um is a different cut and then you know one one area that we're gonna try to be better at as a staff this year is trying to figure out who your weakest defender is, right? Who your weakest defender is, and then maybe trying to get her involved in some action. You know, the first the first year we got the position here, um, it really has more from like a um, like a Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, Carl Mesco does a great job of a lot of like misdirection, so it's like a little bit of. Florida Gulf Coast, Arkansas, uh, Villanova, Creighton, Northern Iowa, like five programs off the top of my head that play like a five out motion. But the cuts are numbered. And it really is just once we go into a game, um, depending on how they play, right? Is it is it a team that's playing a pack line defense where they're going to sag off a little bit? Um, we're going to have to change the angles, uh, maybe of our cuts or some of our screens. Is it one that wants to get out and deny um, and how we're going to approach this? So a lot of our cuts have numbers. Uh, whether it's going to be a basket cut, a fade, uh, a slip, things like that. And then once once we figure out the opponent that we're playing, uh, we will adjust the cuts for that. Um, you know, if somebody plays a zone, um, we're just going to honestly do the same thing. We're Again, I don't want to cloud their mind. You got your, like, your basic kind of like zone offense or like this is front of X with like a high-low action. Um, but yeah, we're 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 gonna stack our cuts. And again, it depends on if we wanna try to I, I say we don't have like we're not running stats for anybody, but trust me, I'm not incompetent, right? Todd, if you get the hot hand, right, and you're on fire, we're about to call some cuts Be, for you. Beat the rock, right? Give yeah, the rock. it's like it's like it's not, you know, and, and that's one thing again, because we have so many returners this year, we can talk openly to our team about is you know, as much as it's a five out, it really is not equal opportunity because some people just have a better skill set or some people are better one-on-one. Um, so there are those moments for that. And so the cuts will depend on who's hot, who's not. Um, we do have one post player who was last year, um, Summit League Defensive Player of the Year, and she's probably like our, our back to the basket, if you will. So if there's a game that we really need to um, establish that so we can open up the three more, uh, we might start out in, in some kind of ISOs for her. Um, but the the flexibility of the five out and, and the number system that we've learned, uh, we just implemented a number system that, this summer. It's, it's been easier for clarity for our players, but it's also easier um, now for me as a coach just to say, you know, I, I want you know, 34 this way, 34. It's almost like a, a baseball softball scenario, right? Where you got all of these like da -da -da numbers coming in, but our, our team understands it. And, and it's, it's been effective against each other. I can't wait for our scrimmages to see how we look um, against someone else. So perfect lead in now talking about the, again, me measuring this, right. Um, you know, getting your hot player, the ball, um, you know, maybe when you're coming in at halftime or or after a game or, you know, after, a, you know, early in the season, after a certain amount of games, 
kind of what are what metrics and kind of analytics are you using to evaluate your your efficiency on offense and, and your individual players? I know you talked about the green light, right? That's the kind of the shooting aspect of it. Um, and then kind of what are your your goals with with your team, you know, as as you're going throughout the year? So we want to be, you know, I'm one that likes somebody that can fill up a stat sheet. So, you know, we'll talk, obviously, your your shooting percentage, right? If, you know, what type of shots did you take? And if if those two don't match up, you know, say all of a sudden now I'm going to pick on you, John. Say John isn't like the best, you know, the shooter, right? He doesn't have his green light license, but all of a sudden in this game, he's, you know, two for seven. But, you know, Todd has a green light and now he's one for three. Well, how can we get her, how can we get you more shots, right? So so that's one metric just in terms of like looking at the shooting percentage. Um, rebounding, I would tell a team is often the separator, right? Are, are you rebounding yourself? And then offensively though, the turnover margin. Like if, if, if you are, if you don't have a green light and you're shooting, you know, two for seven, two for eight, but now you also have four turnovers, you know, you're adding those together. That's, that's 12 opportunities that you're touching the ball when you know somebody else so that's how we're going to probably break it down this year um in terms of trying to add that the turnover uh turnover component in there in terms of taking care of the ball um you know i me and coach miles work a lot defensively so we'll also try to add some defensive metrics in there and then um one one area just i, I talk about our number cuts but we talk a lot about your exit cuts um so when we go to break down film you know things that don't show up on a, on a stat sheet did you, um, how, how are your exit cuts? How are your screens? Because also we can't say, oh, it doesn't matter who scores. The only people like all these parts are important. We need to have a way to measure that. So when we go to watch film as, as a team or as an individual, we'll say, hey, your exit cuts weren't great here. This is why you didn't get your feet set or this is why this person didn't get open. Um, we need you to hold this screen a little bit more. Um, given those type of feedbacks offensively. Um, so there's not necessarily a way that we're measuring it. Um, from when we start at 20 hours, we'll do like a positive negative chart um, of offensive and defensive base so they can kind of get the idea of what we're looking for as coaches, right? Uh, how important uh, getting down get to your spot is in seven seconds, how important um, it is to be shot ready looking at the rim. It, it's kind of detailed like that. Um, that we're tweaking for for this group, but we'll start that for probably the first three three or four weeks of our twenty hours for them to understand everything that we're looking at. So it's not like, you know, uh, again, if, if you're our leading scorer and you shoot bad two for ten, but you've helped us in all these other areas, so I left you on the floor. It's important that the team know that it's not just like, well, I mean, she she was you know two for ten and you still got the play. Well, yeah, she was two for ten, but then she had you know six assists and two turnovers. Uh, seven rebounds and you know next question please coach uh, john i'm i'm, I'm going to go play for coach cuz she just gave me the green light so <laughs> I'm, I'm out. we're going we're fly, flying out i don't know what you're going to do you didn't get the green light but i i'm going we're, hey, we're listen going. i i don't even have the green light and i was two for seven so i'm <laughs> right right like i didn't even show up um okay so let's uh kind of transition into our last two segments um the first one we call 30 second timeout. It's your chance to kind of talk about whatever you want yourself, your family, your program, uh, something you want our listeners to know about. Um, you turn the tables on Todd and I and ask us a question, whatever you kind of want to talk about. As we say, it's a rough 30 seconds. There's no official in your timeout telling you your 30 seconds is up. Perfect. 
Well, I, I definitely want to take a time to take some time to just talk about um, the growth of our program. Again, as I mentioned earlier, you can get so consumed in the wins and losses, right? That, oh, we won seven, 10, 12 games. But I think one area, especially going into year four, that I'm so excited about and proud of is just the progress that we have made. I don't, um, I haven't really given myself enough credit for how difficult uh, COVID was in terms of just trying to learn and build something. And I think to anyone that wants to be a head coach is you really have to figure out um, who you want to be as a leader who you want to be and, and what you want to build. And I think early on, um, I, I wasn't guessing, so to speak. It was just all of these thoughts that you have and then the team that you inherit. Sometimes those things don't necessarily have a chance to match up. Um, so I am one to, to constantly telling our players to show yourself some grace, but then coaches as well, show yourself some grace. There's so many nuances and, and success can be defined so many different ways. Um, figure out what what looks like success for you and how you can define that for you. And then also surround yourself with people that um, want, you know, the best for the program and the best for uh, what you're building in mind. Uh, might be you individually, but really the best, the bigger picture. And I think being, being in a place that's supportive, like the administration that I've had, I'm really excited about, um, you know, the, 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 the steps that were taken to elevate this program. And this year, I'm hoping that the numbers reflect that, but I know we'll continue to make progress. All right, coach. I, I like to say this is where the episode goes off the rails. Uh, this is where <laughs> this is mostly nothing about basketball, maybe a couple, but uh, call it quick hitters, just kind of random questions just to get to know you a little bit, have, have some fun. Uh, first one, most unique thing about, now we got to get specific, East Topeka, Kansas, not just Topeka, most, most unique thing. Okay, I'll do both. East Topeka, um, I'm going to say most unique thing is my favorite hamburger spot, um, Harold's Prize Package, because I still don't know how they get the cheese inside the cheeseburger. It's still my, my favorite one. Um, big questions, right? Yes. But Topeka in general, uh, fun fact, uh, Dean Smith and I went to the same high school. Obviously, he was there a long time before me. Um, and then our first ever head coach of the senior national team for our Olympic team in women's basketball Billy Moore is also from Topeka, Kansas. So awesome. um, it, it's literally in my blood, but um, yes, the, those two, I wanted to give a shout out. Both have passed away, but yes. Um, okay. So I love New Orleans. I've been there multiple times. So favorite Cajun food from your time at Tulane? Crawfish. Like I, I literally could go on a crawfish diet and it is, yeah, crawfish and then gumbo is probably second, but when it's crawfish season, uh, I don't care. Like boiled crawfish, hands down favorite. To the point where we had to buy the pot here and have them shipped from New Orleans. And we started like making them ourselves. But yes, boiled crawfish. All right. Uh, this is one of the few basketball ones. A newer offensive concept that you're studying or interested in. Um, to continue, honestly, to dive into uh, the five-out motion, um, I uh, also learned about us. Uh, Tyler Costin's savvy coaching and both um, offensively and defensively. So I studied that this summer to try to steal some things, both sides of the ball. Um, and I'm excited to see how they look this season. So uh, give uh, savvy coaching and, and his uh, yep. kind of app a whole shout out. No, it's really good stuff. Yeah. We have, we have had Tyler on. He was excellent. Oh, oh nice. Look at that. Um, all right, back to non-basketball. Your favorite food, uh, fast food guilty pleasure? Okay, if usually cheeseburgers, 
Um, but Panda Express Kung Pao chicken okay. with like two spring rolls. Yes, that is like, yes. So cheeseburger, that's like a given, but like Panda Express Kung Pao chicken, yes. I shouldn't have it every day, but I could. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, your, your your favorite outfit to coach in. I don't know if it's going to be a trend in Colorado. Maybe you got to show up with your shades and your cowboy cowboy hat. I don't know. I don't know, what, you know what's happening. I mean, if the trend continues, but what's your favorite outfit to coach in? You know, it's funny. Real, real quick, somebody said, if you if you uh, coach like if you were like Coach Prime, then I like come to your games. Like, I am not Coach Prime. All right. Nobody what has that swag. Nobody, right? Like I, I don't. I'm not Coach Prime. I'm not trying to be Coach Prime. I'm a Coach Prime fan. Um, had us up all night watching the game, but no, I am Dosha Woods, and I'm just going to be me. Um, but I really respect what he's done. You know, I am a quarter zip and just uh, jogger type person. You know, no one really dressed up in COVID, and again, being the first time head coach. I was like, oh, this is nice because I'm yep. super passionate on the sideline. So you can catch me in a quarter zip. Um, and probably some Lulus. That was one of the best things about COVID. I think the, the, uh, the, the gear change, we can get a little bit more comfortable mm-hmm. instead of wearing, you know, I'm sort of finding that shirt and tie I got to wear and that's right. and, and at least this shirt and ties for you guys, we got to find a hole. Right. Now. That's how I started yeah. wearing my last three years at Tulane. I started wearing dresses every game because I got tired of trying to find something to match like tops. So just give me a dress. It's just, it's all right. one piece. Just put it on, but no, you can catch me in some quarter zip new balance and Lulu's. Yes. So we we kind of talked to Coach Curry from Alabama about this, but you are another um, unique person in the profession in that you coach with your wife. Um, so we wanted to know maybe something um, that's unique or, or special or your favorite part about getting to coach with your wife, getting that opportunity. Yes. Well, we've been together for about 15 years. Uh, we've been married for about 12, 12 plus years. So our entire marriage, we've actually worked together. Uh, she was an ops at Tulane. I was a recruiting coordinator. And then uh, when I got the position here, one thing that we both love about the game, we're so passionate about the game. And I think sometimes uh, our passion shows up in different ways um, for sure. But I, I love just how passionate and invested, um, you know, she, like, again, she does our motion offense and will take it in. She's the analytical one on staff and we have a good balance because at the, I'm sometimes at the end of the day, I'm just like, okay, that's a lot of numbers. Like, you know, just simplify it um, for me. But yeah, we have a good balance that way. And, and again, I'm typically defensive minded, but our passion and her passion, our passion for the game to be able to have the opportunity to do this to together, um, you know, to always talk about basketball, like we, we've done better this past year, trying to like have a, a balance, but I really enjoy it. And I think sometimes people, um, you know, just assume like, oh, and I'm sure Coach Curry has this too, and it's there. It's, um, you know, Tennessee up at Colorado is the same thing. Um, it, it's a husband and, and wife team there, but making this assumption that, oh, it's just because she's like the coach's wife. I'm like, no, she has 20 plus years of experience and she has been in the profession. It wasn't like I hired her because she was, you know, just because she's my wife and she was a banker. Like she is a basketball mind. She's a basketball junkie. And that's what brought us together. And it's, it's not that whole like cliche of love and basketball. We're just both passionate about the game and passionate about mentoring and to be able to do it together at a place that supports us doing that. Um, I feel super fortunate and a lot of gratitude uh, to the university of Denver to allow us to live our dreams together. Tell you what, if I, my, I could get my wife to coach with me, I'd probably be a lot better coach. 
she was a hall of fame player so i don't just well, Coach, we we massively enjoyed this episode. We probably went much longer than. Uh, than Sorry about that. No, no, this was Todd and I going much longer. So thank you. This is going to be one of those episodes that people learn in abundance from. So thank you for jumping on with us today. I really appreciate the opportunity to just not only talk about my journey, our program, but definitely where we're headed as well. So thank you. Thank you both uh, for reaching out. And I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.